Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the latest edition of ND Insider's Pot of Gold. My name is Tom Noy. I'm the Notre Dame Insider columnist and men's basketball beat writer. We are joined today by footballscoops.com and Irish Sports Dailies, John Bryce. JB, what's happening? Tom, thanks for having me on, man. Good to join you. We've got a guy that has covered football at all levels for over two decades, yourself. We've got a guy who's covered Notre Dame men's basketball for 24 years and counting. So today, on a day where the heat index in South Bend is 107 degrees, we're going to talk college baseball, naturally, right? Absolutely. Makes the most sense. The most sense. Okay, so if we're talking college baseball, that means we're talking Notre Dame in the College World Series for the first time since 2002, making their third ever appearance in Omaha. Notre Dame is 40 and 15. They open up College World Series play on Friday against the Texas Longhorns. Texas is 47 and 20. Texas is making this is this is a staggering stat that I, I found when I was doing my UT research yesterday. Texas is making its 38th appearance in Omaha. Do they do they even play the College World Series without the Texas Longhorns being present? Well, it used to be um, they didn't play the College World Series without the Texas Longhorns or the Florida State Seminoles being present. I'm sure that's a topic we'll hit upon at some point in this podcast. But yeah, um, and UT is the University of Tennessee. UT2 is the University of Texas. Um, that's my alma mater, the uh, the one in Knoxville. So anyway, um, anyway, incredible, incredible season um, for the Fighting Irish. Been remarkable to see what Link Jarrett has done. Um, and I asked him this in the postgame over the weekend on, on Sunday after they clinched. Really, it's only two full seasons, Tom. I mean, they got 13 games in in 2020. So what Link has done in two full seasons, I think is one of the more staggering turnarounds in college sports, anywhere, any sport that we're talking about in the last you know, 15, 20 years. Before we get to Link Jarrett's future, before we get to the future of the College World Series later on this week, let's go back a little bit to the UT, University of Tennessee in Knoxville. You were there, Lindsey Nelson Stadium. What was the, the, oh my God, I can't believe I'm watching this happen moment for John Bryce sitting in the press box watching Notre Dame beat the number one overall seed Tennessee Volunteers? You know, I, I think it was twofold. I, I think it was four home runs for Notre Dame and, and eight runs total in the first four innings Friday night to set the tone. Um, you know, there were so many people that thought Notre Dame might go down there and be two and Q and done. And um, they were worried about, I just hope Notre Dame's not embarrassed on the big stage. We haven't, sh- these are fans saying, we haven't shown the best in the college football playoff. Now we're on this big stage in baseball. I don't want it to be like that. And so that was the first one. And then honestly, Sunday, it was when it was three to one, Link Jarrett is having to already kind of funnel through to the key points in his bullpen. 
and it's three to one Vols, and they've got men on base, and you're thinking, and I've got Tennessee fans there in the stands who were texting me like, this is the inning, it blows open. This is, and, and my wife was there on behalf of Notre Dame. She works for the university. She's there texting me about how nervous she was, and I was just like, this is the key inning. They've got to get out of it, and they get something out of the out, out something done at the plate. They get out of it, and David Lamana puts a cue ball over the right field wall. <laughs> And you're like looking around. I'm looking at Tim Priester. I'm looking at Al Lassar. And we're just sort of uh, bumfuddled there in the press box that, that we're in a three to three game against a Tennessee team that wasn't just number one. They were consensus number one for two months of the season. Yeah. And then, okay, so it's three three in the seventh. And then when Jack Brannigan follows David Lamana and he puts a charge into one, doesn't the whole tenor of the entire place kind of change? Like, oh my God, that like they're they're really going to wind up doing this. Yeah, there were maybe, I would guess, about 200 Irish fans there. And obviously, it was sold out standing room only. So the announced attendance each day was was 4,500 and change. But they have these block party things right outside of the stadium there, right outside of Lindsey Nelson Stadium, where they're showing the screen, showing the game on a big screen in these green spaces right beside the stadium. So well over 5,000 ball fans all around that have been loud, that have been hanging over the railings, taunting Notre Dame as they disappeared into the batting cages, telling them to go deliver pizzas, all this stuff that I heard with my own ears and taunting them as they're in the outfield getting loose. And all of a sudden, you don't hear anything from 5,000 Tennessee fans, but you hear 200 Notre Dame fans chanting, let's go Irish. And you, in that moment, it sounded like a home game for Notre Dame because Tennessee was so quiet and Notre Dame was so energized. And um, we had some guys shooting for us. Uh, shooting photos for us there over the weekend. They were by the dugout. They were texting me about how live Notre Dame's dugout was after those back-to-back blasts and just how much everything changed. And then, um, and we'll talk obviously more about Link, but I do want to share this. I had a, had a former ball player who appeared in the previous College World Series for Tennessee who texted me and said, man, Link Jarrett pantsed Tony Vitello this weekend. And I couldn't disagree. I thought that I don't think there's any question in the major league draft later this summer summer will bear it out. Tennessee was the superiorly talented team. Link Jarrett and company absolutely did work on Tony Vitello and company. And maybe it was because the Vols pitching coach got foolishly ejected Friday night and suspended for three games. I don't know what all the missing elements were, um, but I thought Link Jarrett and company were absolutely masterful all weekend, even in the game they lost. Um, and even with the way that they managed to get the game that they got away from them on Saturday, I thought they were really, really good. Whether it's April or May or now June, you're a guy that's been around this program daily. That's been around Link Jarrett basically since he got here. Let's touch on Link a little bit. Like when you say that, that, that the, ten, the Tennessee players said he pants Tony, what is it about Link Jarrett that makes him such a good coach? Because even, even in the biggest moment that this program has seen in 20 years on the post game in ESPN on Sunday afternoon, you, you couldn't really tell if Link Jarrett was excited or he's worried about the next situation coming down the pike as to how do we get this run home in this big, in this key game? Like what, what keeps him so level and so locked in that's allowed him to do what he's done with this program in, in basically two years. 
You know, it's, it's a term probably used too much, but he's a baseball lifer. And I think he really feels the game. And from his days as, I guess, a, a three-time All-American at Florida State, still a record holder there to the way that he climbed very methodically up through the coaching ranks, had coached in the SEC before and his assistant at Auburn and won an SEC championship when he was an assistant there. Um, so he took a really um, deliberate, long path I think to get the opportunity to be at a power five name brand program like Notre Dame. And, and I talked to him about it last week and I'd sort of been working on it all season long for, for a story that I did about his blueprint and how he implemented it. Because I'd ask him maybe in, in mid March, like, come on, Link, you didn't really believe when you took the Notre Dame job that you could be outright ACC champions really in your first full season and have another team this year that could have the potential to be ACC champions, or in this case now, headed to Omaha. And he said, no, John, I, I really did. I believed it or I wouldn't have come here. And I had a vision and he told me that it was um, from studying Augie Garrido's Texas teams for, from two decades ago. He told me it was obviously his playing experiences at Florida State. He told me he took a little something from the really great Cal State Fullerton teams uh, from around 2007, 2008. He specifically told me he took some stuff from the Arkansas teams and the South Carolina teams that were World Series teams and champions in South Carolina's case around 2010, 2011, 2012. So it was really interesting for him to share that his blueprint was something that he created through 20 years of yeah. being prepared to this point. So so really, and I, and I believe him because of the way he approaches the game and the way he kind of sees the game, I think, um, one or two pitches ahead or one or two sequences ahead. And, and from my standpoint, from what I've covered, I would equate it to the way when Steve Spurrier was really on calling a college football game, when he was, when he was in it on the offensive side of the ball and seeing the field so well. I mean, what he did to some SEC defenses through the years was insane. And that's the way I see Link Jarrett doing a baseball game, managing a baseball game, not with the same type of talent level that Steve had, but with the knowledge and with the confidence. We were in the Irish locker room lounge last week talking with Link before they left for, for Knoxville, and he said, you know, th to beat this team, you have to study them throughout the course of three games and find that one little nuance that maybe it doesn't show up in the scouting report, it doesn't show up in all the stats, that you looked at when you saw Tennessee and how they were 37 and three at home and they were 31 and two against non-conference games or non-conference opponents. But there's that one nuance in a baseball game that if you see it and you recognize it, you might be able to have success. Safe to say that Link and his staff maybe found something that worked for them down there in Knoxville last weekend. Yeah, and great point, Tom. And if you'll remember it, it might've even been your question. I'm not sure, but he mentioned then if you want to say maybe their bullpen or their relief pitching and they still have really good numbers, but maybe that's the one thing, or you knew that, that Notre Dame felt like they could run some on Tennessee and yeah, they had three guys or, or four guys erased on the base paths early in the day on Sunday. Um, but that nonetheless sent a message. And I think it, it stayed in the back of Tennessee's mind. The other thing I would say is in a lot of ways, um, yeah, Link prepared to give his, team a chance to win Sunday's game with the way he managed mid-game starting Saturday. But Notre Dame also set itself up to have a chance on Sunday by how early it got to Tennessee's bullpen on Friday night. And, and Tennessee felt Friday night that it still had the sticks to come back and win that game. We saw it end up 8-6 after it was 8-1. to 
Um, but they used the Joyce kid for so long on Friday night that it kind of removed him from the from the uh, equation for Sunday. And they used a couple of other guys. And then obviously the Gilbert kid got himself ejected and um, they didn't play huge on Saturday, but it probably had an impact the rest of the way in Friday night's game. And so, again, I, I think you saw a, a talented veteran Notre Dame team that was superiorly coached and, and obviously had much more composure over the weekend. And then you saw Link. Uh, really make all the right spot, right, right moves. We were a little surprised at how quickly he hooked Simon, but it worked. We mm -hmm. were surprised then when he went to Finley uh, over Rayo, um, but it worked. And then again, I, I thought all weekend long the way that Notre Dame ran the bases would get into Tennessee's head, and I truly believe that it did. Left fielder Ryan Cole made some news last week when he said, "I think I think Tennessee should be scared of us because we're a dangerous team." Anybody else says something like that, it kind of raises the eyebrows. It's kind of a headline right there. But Ryan Cole is just one of with so many veteran, experienced, confident guys on this baseball team. And when he said that, it kind of you, you kind of was like, you really want to say that? And then all of a sudden, everything he all he does on Friday is he steps in, leadoff batter in that environment, in that game, first pitch single and it, it feels like it felt like that set the tone for the entire weekend like you knew you knew Tennessee was going to do what Tennessee does and hit all those home runs and wear the fur coat and wear the daddy hat and everything but for Ryan Cole to kind of say all right I'm going to not only I'm going to say that but I'm going to step in here and I'm going to lace this pitch into the outfield and we're going from here like that that had to have been just a huge confidence boost for this team but again they're a confident bunch to begin with they are. They, they're just a, they're a confident bunch without being a cocky bunch in the way that they present their confidence. And yeah, I thought that was a validating moment for Notre Dame Friday, Tom. I thought it was um, one of the singular moments of the weekend, even though it's just a leadoff hit in game one of three. But boom, how quickly did he steal second base and then get to third, I think, on a on a throwing error. And, and again, it just did so much to not only set the tone for that game, but to say, hey, you know what, we're here. We heard all the same stuff last year that Mississippi State was going to run roughshod through us and we shouldn't be here or or all of this stuff. And they were saying, we're not, you know, we're not going to be run roughshod through. We are a veteran team. We believe we're supposed to be here. You have to deal with us. And, um, you know, uh, Link was asked about that over the weekend. And maybe I asked Brannigan and Lamana about it and Christopher might have asked Link specifically about it. And all those guys said, you know, Lamana and, and Brannigan said, hey, we see social media. We know what's being said out there. So it wasn't Ryan's words per se. It was just all of that. But I thought it was really interesting when Link said, you know what? Yeah, I heard about it. And that's OK, because I want my guys <laughs> to tell the truth and I want my guys to believe in what we're doing. And again, that wasn't an in-game moment, but that was another brilliant managerial decision from Link Jarrett when he went on video and said, I believed in them. They should say they believe in themselves. I think like you said, I think it was maybe the Sunday post game. I forget what it was because, again, you were down there. I'm sitting on my couch at, back up here in northern Indiana watching the game on TV and writing off of that. But I think he said post game Sunday he had a team in 2020 that was sidetracked because of the pandemic that he believed could get to Omaha. He said he had a team in 2021 that could get to Omaha and almost did wind up losing to the eventual national champions in the three-game series in Starkville. And he says again, 2022, I believe that I had a team that could get to the College World Series and do what they're doing right now. Having watched this program from start to finish this season, 
when did you get an inkling? Like there, there weren't too many, like you, you thought, you thought after the Virginia tech game where they lost at home early to Virginia tech, had that team meeting, had that team practice the next day, that kind of kickstarted them, but they kind of side, they kind of slid backwards late in the season. When did you get the feel that, you know what, these guys might be in Omaha in June. You know, I think it, it was two points, and um, that Virginia Tech weekend is one I've talked to Link and the players about a lot because uh, it was March 27th, I think, that uh, mm-hmm. maybe March 25th they lost the game and Brannigan started and he hadn't lost a game. I mean, excuse me, Bertrand started. He had not lost a game in a really long time. He had pitched so well, and Tech hit him pretty hard, and it was really gross weather, and um, <laughs> I'd started out at that game, and then um, my wife had a function on campus, and I think I ended up at her function on campus later that night because it was so miserable and then the whole rest of the weekend gets snowed out not rained out snowed out if you'll mm-hmm. remember and so they spent that Sunday morning practicing in Loftus and a lot of people have talked about that Sunday morning kind of being a turning point in the season players and coaches alike so I pointed to that and then I'll be honest with you it was two road series Florida State where they go sweep the Seminoles at the point in time they were ranked number five in the country um, and, and had the Golden Spikes Award finalist in, in the pitcher, and, and the number two pitcher was equally as good. Uh, and then a Wake Forest weekend where, where Notre Dame also had a dominant showing against the Wake Forest team that played so much better at home, uh, I believe, and, and had so much more going for its bats. I think that was a road game. I can't remember, mm-hmm. or a road series. I can't remember. But to me, it was those two series. It was the Florida State series for sure on the road and the Wake Forest series. Can't remember if home or away. But those were just two series where Notre Dame so effectively took care of business and won some games in so many different ways. Had to win the game one against Florida State by going 12 innings. They were no hit for the first six innings. But Bertrand matched it pitch for pitch and, and went beyond six innings uh, with maybe one or two hits allowed. And, and Notre Dame just found a way. And I thought then, you know, even without Nico and Tanner Kolop from last year's team, that this team just had an innate ability to find a way to scratch out wins. And now I'll say that I didn't think this team could be a World Series team when I saw the when I saw the draw, when I first saw they weren't going to get to host anything, yeah. I didn't think they could necessarily be a World Series team, especially when I saw that they weren't going to get to host anything, which was a flat-out injustice, just ridiculous. And then secondly, when I saw that if they got through Statesboro with what I thought was the best number three seed in the tournament and had an argument to be a top 16 seed in Texas Tech, then they had Tennessee Wade. He is John Bryce of Irish Sports Daily and FootballScoop.com. My name is Tom Noy, ND Insider, sports columnist, and men's basketball beat writer. We're talking Notre Dame baseball. They're moving on to the College World Series on Friday, going to open against the Texas Longhorns. 7 p.m., first pitch, Eastern time, 6 o'clock out in Omaha. First pitch, double elimination. They will play either Oklahoma or Texas A&M on Sunday. Format's a little, di- a little bit the same as the regional but a little different in the fact that they're playing every other day. So it'll be Friday, Sunday, and we'll see what happens next week. But Friday will be the opener with Notre Dame. Figure John Michael Bertrand on Friday against the Longhorns? You would think so. Um, with the with the rest that he got, he had a relatively short outing on Saturday. Um, I would think it would probably be John Michael Bertrand against the Longhorns on Friday. Um, again, he, he just lasted – into the fourth inning uh, on Saturday, I think, against the Vols and didn't throw – he threw a number of pitches, you know, maybe 68 or something like that. I can't even fully remember. But 
he's your guy. Um, he's the ACC ERA leader. Um, he's done so much for this program on and off the field. I would expect him to be your game one starter um, because then if you get a deeper outing out of him, it gives you so much more flexibility with Sunday and, and how you manage it. And Austin Temple has been incredibly effective for this team, but it's been rare that he's gone more than four to five innings. And so if you get a good outing out of Bertrand on Friday and then you can go Sunday with, with having Austin Temple, Liam Simon, Alex Rayo, and, and Jack Finley and whoever else at your disposal, then I think that's really interesting. One guy we didn't see over the weekend in Knoxville that I would fully expect to see at some point in Omaha is Aiden Tyrell. Pitched yeah. on the big stage for Notre Dame last year. Obviously not, not a, a flamethrower, but he's so crafty, so savvy. He does have a little bit of sneaky speed with his slider um, and just doesn't get phased by the moment typically. And so I would look for Aiden Tyrell to make an appearance in, in Omaha, perhaps in a key situation. Maybe if if uh, JMB can only go four or five innings Friday against the Horns, that might be when you see uh, Aiden Tyrell summoned. I don't know where they're at with the um, with, with Jack Finley, the freshman who has been the story, in my opinion, of the postseason for Notre Dame. How much rest does he need throwing five innings on Sunday? It wasn't the most pitches he's thrown this year, but it was the most innings he's thrown this year. And he's got now um, – he pitched seven over the weekend between a two-inning save on Friday and five on Sunday. Ten and one-third innings in the postseason, Tom. I'm sure you already know this. Ten and one-third innings, nine strikeouts – one single earned run allowed, and um, I forget how many hits, but it's maybe only like four hits and, and two walks or something like that. But but 10.1 innings, three saves, and a win, the biggest win in 20 years for this program. And given this team where you see senior, 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 graduate student, graduate student, graduate student, he's a true freshman. Yeah, true freshman. Absolutely, the true freshman uh, – out of New Jersey, a former prep standout. Hey, and, and um, this is our first time visiting. Let's not forget another true freshman, I believe, in Jack Jack uh, Penny last weekend in Statesboro, who still had to start at second base for Jared Miller, had a key hit over the course of that weekend, um, played some nice defense, did some good things for this team. And, and so, yeah, um, and then T.J. Williams having to step up in and play some outfield for this team, another of the younger players who have carved uh, a niche role on this squad. So, Overwhelmingly veteran, um, Jack Finley, the postseason story is a true freshman, but there have been a smattering of contributors from that underclass group. I would be remiss as the Notre Dame men's basketball beat writer if I didn't draw a parallel between what I watched at the Notre Dame men's basketball team earlier in the fall and this team, where the first time I watched this Notre Dame men's basketball team, I kind of looked out on the court and said, yeah, they've got some talent here. Blake Wesley, he's pretty good. You know, Prentice Hub, he's a senior leader. Dane Goodwin, he's improved. But I don't see right now as we sit here in early October, I don't see an alpha dog on this team. I don't see the one guy that's going to kind of galvanize everybody around them and say, this stuff stops now or we need to stop here. We need a bucket here. And I talked to Mike Bray about that. I talked to Anthony Solomon about that. I talked to players, the players about that. And at that point in the year, they said it was going to be alpha dog by committee. They have so many seniors, so many veteran guys, whether it was Hub or Nate Lashevsky or, or Paul Atkinson, the Yale transfer, they were all going to be the alpha dog. But I think at, by the end of the year, when Notre Dame came within the game this close to going to the Sweet 16 and beating Alabama for their third win in five days, 
I think the alpha dog of that basketball team at that point was Cormac Ryan. Who's, who's maybe the alpha dog of this baseball team? Or, and is there one? I definitely, I think there's more than one, but I don't necessarily think it's the same by committee approach that you and I saw a great deal of this basketball season until it became Cormac Ryan. And when, and when Notre Dame really positioned itself in men's basketball for the postseason and, and to squeak into that first four, I really thought it was because of what Cormac Ryan did down the stretch and especially the defense and rebounding. The way he rebounds for somebody his size is really phenomenal. I think for this Notre Dame team, it starts with John Michael Bertrand, and and here's why. When he got yanked Saturday and he's got people coming in for him and and they're having to go through the bullpen a little bit, I would watch in between innings. John Michael Bertrand would be the, the first guy in between innings every single time to get out on the field and shake the pitcher's hands mm-hmm. and to shake the hands of his defensive teammates. And he told me Saturday when I asked him, John Michael, you were in this situation as a team a year ago. It's Saturday evening. You've got to think about game three all the way until the next day. You know, what's the mindset? What do you guys do? Do you even think about baseball? Do you not think about baseball? And he looked at me and he said, Hey man, it's championship Sunday. I think everybody wants to be here. That's an alpha statement when you say, hey, man, it's championship Sunday and everybody wants to be here. I would put Jack Brannigan in that role a bit. Um, He's an emotional spark plug. I think Ryan Cole is in that role a little bit. And listening to Link talk, I think you would see Jared Miller in that role a little bit. I know Link said multiple times this year that Jared Miller was the headiest and most baseball intelligent player that he had ever coached. And so I think it's the nucleus of those guys but it probably starts at the very tip top with, with Brannigan and with Bertrand and then Orion Cole, not very far behind that at all. You kind of got the idea of where Jared Miller sits in the, in the pecking order when we talked to Link before the, they left for Knoxville last week. And he was almost pained yeah. by the fact that he couldn't get Jared Miller into the regional down there in Statesboro. Like, it, he's such a key guy in the lineup. He's like, if, if there's one thing I really want to do this weekend in Knoxville, other than to, to win a Super Regional, it was to get Jared Miller back going and being Jared Miller in this lineup. Yeah, and, you know, he, he didn't use him all weekend in Statesboro except as a pinch runner, and he mm-hmm. delivered the game-winning run uh, as the pinch runner. And then, But what does he do on Friday in his first at-bat, Tom, in 27 days? I looked it up. His first <laughs> yeah. official collegiate at-bat in 27 days, he goes yard. And, again, it was part of the tone-setting, we-belong, statement that the Irish made across the first four innings. And um, again, that's phenomenal for Jared Miller. That's also phenomenal for Link um, protecting the player over himself the weekend before, which I think is what he did holding out Jared Miller and also being wise enough to say, we're probably going to need Jared Miller a little bit more next weekend in Knoxville than we do this weekend in Statesboro. If we can find a way to win without it. You've sat in football press boxes, throughout the SEC, in the NFL, uh, Navy, going to the Army-Navy game, college basketball arenas. I'm going to violate rule number one of interviewing 101 and ask you a question I don't have the answer to. Have you ever been to the College World Series? No, I have not. It's a, a uh, it's a bucket list event that I've wanted to cover for a long time. I've covered games at the original Orange Bowl. I've covered games at the Rose Bowl. Uh, I've gotten to cover – games very fortunately in a lot of great basketball venues and been to a lot of great basketball venues through the years but I have not ever been to the College World Series it has been 
a bucket list event for me to cover. And um, I'll be recognizing that dream uh, a little bit later this week. Nice. What do you know about Texas? Longhorns, another SC or a Big 12 school, similar to the fact that to the way Texas Tech played, where they've got an awful lot of impressive hitters in the lineup. Your early research, your your early take on what the Longhorns are all about. Yeah, well, you know, just as Notre Dame had been in that super regional situation a year ago and needed to find a way to get over the hump, Texas is a team that was in Omaha last year and obviously didn't win at all, but had a stay. And now they're looking for a way to get over the hump and be in that championship best of three series out in Omaha. So it's a pretty veteran Texas team. They hit the ball really well. Um, I think because of how long Tennessee was number one this season, we forget that Texas was number one for a good bit early in the college baseball season and actually handed Tennessee one of its early season losses, maybe in the in the tournament hosted by the Houston Astros at Minute Maid Park there in Houston. And so um, it's a veteran Texas team. They've got some good arms, um, but they're led more by their offense than they are their pitching staff. And they won't be phased. They won't be phased by the stage because they were there a year ago and, and a great number of players on this year's team were key contributors on last year's team. How surprised would you be if Notre Dame was phased by this? Like they've never been on the stage. Oh no, Notre Dame's yeah, Notre Dame's not going to be phased. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Frank, frankly, um, this ballpark should set up a little bit better for Notre Dame than this past weekend at Lindsey Nelson. I know that um, it's going to be hundred plus with heat index in Omaha. At least that's the the preliminary forecast that I've seen out there. And mm-hmm. the ball flies in TD Ameritrade Park, um, but the dimensions are different than the than the 320 short porch with a four foot wall and right field in Tennessee and the, the 320 left field fence with the bleachers behind it in Tennessee and the 390 foot center field um, in, in Tennessee. And so um, a bigger park plays to Notre Dame's advantages. You know, um, I think there's no question about that. It lets Notre Dame's pitchers have a little bit more trust in what they do and lean on their defense. That's a key recipe for Notre Dame. And also um, a bigger field maybe allows Notre Dame's hitters to find more gaps to get on bases and, and to do more things on the base paths. And, and those are the keys. I mean, Notre Dame has to get quality starting pitching. It has to get continued great defense. So fitting that Notre Dame punched its ticket to Omaha with a double play. Um, <laughs> and then it has to be able to run and do some things on the base pass. This is a team that, um, it won't hit as many home runs, in my opinion, in Omaha is what it managed to do in Knoxville, uh, just because the field is going to be deeper. But if it gets more doubles, it's probably better served. Given everything that Link Jarrett has done in such a short time, going to a Super Regional last year, going to the College World Series this year, running away with the Atlantic Coast Conference a year ago by four and a half games, the cynic in the sports writer says, man, he's just – he's." not going to be at Notre Dame. He's too good to be around this Notre Dame program. Not saying that the Notre Dame program is not good, but when you talk college baseball, we've talked some of the teams, Stanford, Tennessee, Florida State, Texas. You don't necessarily think of Notre Dame right away when you think of the quality, high-level, high-class college baseball programs. What's Link Jarrett's future what do you where, where do you think this is all going with for Link yeah. in the university yeah you know selfishly tom for for guys like you and i who, who cover the program and are here in the community and around it a lot i think link has has provided in very short order a roadmap 
for what could be a sustained, really, really elite Notre Dame baseball program, despite some of the factors that, that work against it. We'll get into those in a minute. But the way that he has cherry-picked in graduate transfers or, or gotten John Michael Bertrand because Furman foolishly shut its program down, but the way he's gone into Jersey and gotten some kids, which is a, a region of the country that's been so good to Notre Dame football and basketball through the years, the way he's gone into Illinois and gotten some great players like a Jack Penny, who's a, providing a very uh, promising foundational player. Um, the recruiting class that he's got coming in, he's got uh, Stubby Clapp, the, the former St. Louis Cardinals player, who's the Cardinals' current third base coach. His son is a part of the, the group of Notre Dame baseball signees that just moved to campus earlier this month. So I think that in spite of a lot of things working against him, Link has showed that Notre Dame doesn't have to be a flash-in-the-pan program that, yeah, he built it with a bunch of veterans that he either inherited or brought in and then infused the right mix of young talent to get them to this point. But there's also the way he's recruited, the way Rich Wallace has recruited, Chuck Restano has developed pitchers, uh, Vanderglass, so on. They've shown that this is a potential to be a sustained success program. And um, I wish we would get to see it because mm -hmm. of that. And I don't think we're going to get to. I just really don't. Uh, when I was in Knoxville over the weekend, I had a, a national person tell me that um, does a ton of college baseball that has connections all over the country. He said, you know, what are the odds of Notre Dame keeping this guy? I'm told Southern Cal is offering him a million dollars a year for about a five-year contract. So we've known Southern Cal. I've written that. We've all seen that Southern Cal. We know Clemson is in the mix. And now when we were headed down there about two hours before the park, before getting to the park on Friday, we see Florida State is alma mater come open. He's a Tallahassee native, as I said early in the podcast. He's still a record holder there, I think a three-time All-American. I don't think Notre Dame baseball, for many reasons, is swimming in the same waters as a Clemson or Florida State, which I think would be the two programs favored to land him over USC. And obviously, I would expect Florida State to be favored to land Lee Jarrett. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a sentiment that as special as this ride is for Notre Dame and what it's done in reaching the College World Series for the first time in two decades, um, in my opinion, it's probably going to be the end of the Link Jarrett era uh, unless Notre Dame commits not only un unprecedented resources to Link and his coaching staff in terms of salary, um, but just looking facilities-wise. And Notre Dame's indoor football facility, which I think looks a lot like a miniature Lucas Oil Stadium. Mm -hmm. Look, I've been in Oregon's. I've been in Alabama's, Georgia's, Tennessee's, Florida's, LSU's. I've been in some indoor facilities that are incredible all over the country. Notre Dame's indoor facility for football stacks with any of those, any of those. It's that elite. I think the new basketball space that Notre Dame has is really, really good, really state-of-the-art. You can't point to anything like that for baseball. There's nothing about the baseball program. There's no accoutrement for the baseball program that's state-of-the-art as nice as anywhere in the country. And some of these people coming after Link Jarrett have nice as anywhere in the country, state-of-the-art facilities. And, oh, by the way, programs that don't have to open with their first six, seven weeks on the road. And you can't discount – you cannot discount that. I mean, I think it was – last weekend was their 12th three-game series or more on the on the road. So you can't discount that impact. And maybe some things that, that, that some baseball – Notre Dame baseball fans, casual fans, don't really understand – 
the first time because they're they're indoors for so so long during the during January during February they can't get out. There's not a 65 degree day in northern Indiana where they where they could say, hey, let's let's go over to Eck. We're gonna we're gonna go go on the field and, and run around a little bit. They can't do that. The first time they basically see live pitching is when they go play their first game. Yeah, and and one other thing about facilities, and this is not a knock on anybody. This is merely stating reality. And we've seen it a couple of times when we've been into Loftus to watch them practice. They're practicing baseball with cross country or, or lacrosse or somebody running the track around them, or they've got half of the space in Loftus to do their baseball practice because lacrosse is on the other side practicing. And again, these other programs that we've referenced on this show are not dealing with those sort of uh, impediments in their way. So I do believe in my heart of hearts that Link Jarrett would make Notre Dame a consistent top 16 type program with a chance two out of every three years or more to be in Omaha if he was able to stay here and sustain it. I just don't see the factors lining up for Notre Dame to keep him here to stay here and sustain it. Last question, quick question. Are we staying in Omaha short time, long term? There's no way uh, I'm thinking this team is going to go to Omaha and be two and Q not after what we've seen from them, not after the resiliency. And so I don't know how long I expect us to be in Omaha, but I don't think that we'll be coming home Sunday after Notre Dame has gone 0-2. I don't know about you, but I'm packing for 12 days. I'm probably uh, mixing it and packing. uh, I'll pack for a longer stay and also plan on doing some laundry while I'm out there. And my wife, if she was listening or when she listens, will laugh because I'm not very good at laundry. (laughs) Okay, so we'll pack for an extended stay. We'll do laundry out there. How about doing a podcast or two while we're out in Omaha? I would love that. And, my man, I owe you a steak. And so let's (laughs) get it on audio record right here that I I I I I didn't. I didn't bring that up. I didn't. I don't want to care. I know I owe you a steak, and it will be a privilege to buy you a steak in Omaha while covering this great Notre Dame team. He is John Bryce, FootballScoop.com, Irish Sports Daily. I am Tom Noy, Notre Dame Insider for the South Bend Tribune. We will talk again on this pot of gold somewhere along the line when we're sitting by the banks of the Missouri River, hopefully watching Notre Dame make a nice long run through the College World Series. John, love talking with you. Be good. Thanks a lot, buddy. I really appreciate the visit. You got it.